The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange from Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Amy Donlan, a columnist and your host for today's episode. Today I'm talking to David McCourt, an Irish American entrepreneur, Emmy Award winning producer and more recently chairman of National Broadband Ireland, an entity that won a 3 billion euro contract from the Irish government to bring high speed broadband to places that are poorly connected. I'm in sunny and often rainy County Clare, and David is in Los Angeles. Due to ongoing pandemic, we are not meeting in person, but are conducting this conversation over Zoom. So David, you're very welcome, and it's very nice to meet the man who the Irish Times described as the Irish American billionaire you've never heard of. It's nice to be here with you. I'm sorry that I'm not in Clare with you instead. There you go. So what brings you to Los Angeles? Well, I I have an... uh, a, a place in Los Angeles in, in on the 13th of March when Trump said he was going to stop all the, all the flights, um, had to pick somewhere to go and almost stayed in County Clare, but decided to, to, decided to come to the States. So here we are in the States and I'll be back in Clare soon. Okay. So yes, you're, you're, you're very far away from your current project, which I just thought we could start off by talking about National Broadband Ireland. Uh, obviously, more important than ever uh, to be connecting areas with with poor coverage, given so many people are reliant on it for their livelihoods, groceries, and not to mention keeping up with developments on what's going on with pandemics. So could you tell us a little bit about that and basically the challenges and, and maybe how it's been kind of rolling out this this project, I guess, in lockdown as well? Well, it's a, it's a huge project, as you know, and it's, it's the biggest... Uh, public-private partnership going on in Europe right now. And, and the idea is the government took a very, the government of Ireland took a very bold step to say that every man, woman, and child in Ireland would have fiber to the home. And huge, ambitious project, took years and years and lots of controversy to get over the line. But now that it's over the line, you know, we've, we've, we're, we're hiring people um, at a couple dozen a week and we're rolling out trucks and getting it designed and, and starting the construction and hopefully we'll get it done in, in five years. Originally it was a 10 year project, then it was a seven year project. Now because of COVID, they want to make it a five year project, which is a, you know, a multi-billion dollar project in five years will be, will be difficult, but we'll do our best to, to try to get it done as, as soon as we can. And when it is done, Ireland will be unique in that, it will be a, a birthright to have a fiber to your home, which is, which is really a very interesting way to look at the world. And I think a necessary way to look at the world. And I think it's a, um, I think it'll be a game changer for Ireland. Absolutely. And why Ireland, David? Tell us about your, your background. And, and I know that you're obviously referred to as this Irish American billionaire. What is your connection to here? Well, I have I have a home in, in Clare, where you are. I don't know what, what part of Clare you're in, but, but I'm in um, Killaloo, along the Shannon. Yeah, well, I'm around the I'm along the Shannon too. I'm in I'm in uh, uh, in Newmarket, which is not far from where you are. I know it, yeah. Uh, so, um, my mother's from from Galway. I've, I came to Ireland on vacation for twenty years. Um, and then one day I, I, I bought a house sight unseen in an auction because it, you know, 20 something years ago, uh, because it was a special house that had, hadn't changed hands in 700 years, this piece of land. It had been passed down from father to, 
son or daughter for for hundreds of years and it became available and it was a you know it's a special piece of property on a lake and I bought it and been renovating the buildings ever since so I love Ireland and we've done other business in Ireland we owned a, a, a company in partnership with the government a company called Enet before this so yeah. we've We've successfully partnered with the government. We, we, we specialize in partnering with people where someone has a policy they need to deliver um, and we can deliver that policy and contribute to the community and make a profit, which is unique. That's the way businesses used to be organized, whereas you'd contribute to the community and you'd make a profit. Over the last 50 years, businesses have evolved into just extracting a profit and not contributing to the communities, which is what's created this ongoing battle against capitalism, uh, which is because they've gotten too good extracting value and not good enough at contributing to the communities they do business in, in my view. This is, this is something, David, you've kind of, you've written a book about as well, right? You've, you've written a book and you've talked a lot about, I guess, changes that need to be made in the way that corporations behave. And I just think that this debate now has become very mainstream uh, throughout the world, particularly for this pandemic and what, what needs to, to come about and how businesses treat their employees. I just wonder what, what changes do you think are going to, to take place over the next year? Um, because obviously you've got a lot of people who are, who are being, you know, they're furloughed already and a lot of businesses that are really facing a very different future from the one that they laid out even six months ago. Well, well Amy, it, it's the conversation that's taking place now is one-sided it's either businesses are attacking policymakers in saying governments aren't doing a good job um taking care of those they govern mm -hmm. they're not showing leadership and you got businesses saying the whole the, you got government saying the whole problem is businesses are extracting too much value and they're not contributing value in mm -hmm. the both blaming each other but they both need to change. The, the systemic problems in both of them. Mm. The, the policymakers are, they used to, they were always worried about themselves, but they basically would work with other parties to deliver what the taxpayers wanted. Mm -hmm. And they would collaborate and they would cooperate. Now they just take up a party position and they fight anything else that's not that party position. And they're only interested in getting reelected and they're only interested in their view not the holistic view and, and businesses we're on a third generation of businesses that you know reward you for extracting value and don't reward you for contributing to the communities you do business in and when young people come into business and you know how this this works when when, when you see when when people, when young people grow up in a socially isolated neighborhood, they turn out a certain way, right? Yeah. So you, it, when young people go into a socially isolated corporation, it's the same thing. They think that's normal. They think extracting as much cash as possible is normal behavior. And that needs to change. That's not the job of business. The job of business is to contribute to the communities you do business in deliver a good product, be proud of the product you deliver, and make a reasonable profit at the same time. I just think, who do you think should lead that charge? Well, look, the, the, everyone's getting so pissed off right now that we're gonna have a revolution if, 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 if we don't make some changes. I spoke at Harvard 
a few months ago to the graduating students and I said, look, if you all, and I just happened to be there, that's, and, and, and I said, if you all don't make the change, someone is going to get elected that's not qualified to make mm-hmm. those changes because they don't know anything about business. But those changes are going to happen and it's going to be worse. Businesses have got to start contributing to the communities they do business in as well as making a profit. And on the policy side, you know, we need some systemic uh, uh, changes. We need election reform. Uh, we, we need the amount of money, especially in America, that goes into the election, the amount of money that goes into lobbying, all of that stuff. And these things are only 50, 60 years old, these, these problems. There's huge amounts of money that go into lobbyists. There's huge amount of money that, that goes into elections. And the huge amount of money that businesses take out um, of the communities they do business in. This, these, these two things have been going on for the last half a century, and they've both gotten out of control. And young people have got to say, okay, we've had enough. The systemic problems on both sides, and we need to, we need to fix it. Otherwise, um, you, you know, it will, it will, will, policymakers will just blame businesses and become more and more of a socialist environment and the capitalist system will sort of wither away and we won't have efficient businesses and that we won't have efficient policymakers either. Mm. We'll have some distribution of, of wealth, which in the short term will be good, but in the long term, there won't be enough money produced. So it won't really, it won't really work in the long term. And we've seen that over and over again around the world. And, and David, I, you obviously have, you know, your feet in two countries. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on, on the upcoming election in America? I mean, do you have any predictions for, you know, what repercussions you might see from four more years of Donald Trump or a new Biden administration? I think, I think that Trump will lose by historical uh, uh, numbers. I think he will, he will lose by a overwhelming majority because he is he he got elected based on saying that the system was broken and he was right about that but he's been divisive and he creates uh, a divisive um uh, uh um sort of talk track that doesn't solve any problem it just creates more fighting and that's not what people want people don't want more fighting they don't want, uh, they want a new system. You saw Bloomberg, when he entered the system, uh, when he entered the, the race, didn't do well. He did a very good job as mayor of New York. Um, he was middle of the road, insensible. But what people saw in him was a better manager. And they don't want a better manager. They want a new system. Mm. So, and what they saw in Trump was someone who claimed he was going to put a new system in place, but he didn't. He just criticized everyone that didn't see the world the way he did. And that's not what people want. People want a, they want a new system. Now, you know, Joe Biden, who I, I, I personally hope will get elected because I'm, I, I don't think we can handle four more years of divisiveness, um, you know, might not be the man to change everything. But, it, but he's a good man, and I don't think um, he's going to bring a animosity and, a, and an anger to the office and create more divisiveness. I think he's going to try 
to heal some of the wounds that we've that have been created over the last four years with Trump. Okay. And look, I, and you're talking to a guy who's benefited from the capitalist system. So I'm, I'm, I'm someone who less regulation, lower taxes, but there is no price that, um, or there's no gift you could give a business person that's worth the price of the divisiveness and uh, the callousness and the lack of compassion and the lack of cooperation and the, and the lack of com community support that Trump has brought uh, to America. And, and policymakers are supposed to bring consistent compassion, uh, consistent, compassionate oversight, um, not divisiveness. And that's not what America needs right now. What America needs right now is a change to capitalism and a change to government. And we need them both. And we can't keep on blaming each other for the problem. They have to work together to solve the problem. And, and do you, do you think, ahead. David, your, your fellow CEOs would, would agree with that? Do, they, do you think that, that people who are, are leading companies in America would agree that you know Trump has been obviously very focused on the stock market. That seems to be the bar in which he he sets whether he's a success or not. Do you think that that is something that that business now is has kind of just gotten rid of as an as an idea and now well, want change? Well, first of all, let me say: since when did the short term performance of the stock market have any indication of the well being of America? When, when, you know, when, when did we ever decide that the short-term performance of the stock market is any indication of a life well-lived, mm -hmm. is any indication of a country well-run, is any indication of a leader that has any idea what he's doing? When, when did that metric become one that we watch as a barometer that tells us anything about the future of our country? America was the country of hopes and dreams for a long time for a good reason. In the short-term performance of the stock market is no indication of that. The stock market has done, has done well lately, but 66,000 small businesses have closed in America since March. 66,000 small businesses have closed. That's men and women that, that got up every day and made America work and now can't put food on the table for their kids. How is that America that we're proud of? The America of, of hopes and dreams was a country where the policymakers collaborated. When I worked for, for, for Tip O'Neill, a great American, Irish-American politician, you know, my little desk was right outside his office. And when he'd come back from the floor, you know, I would always stand up when he'd walk by my desk and I'd say, Mr. Speaker, how are we doing? How'd we do today? And he, he would say, we got half, Davey, we got half. So that was the view back then that you, you, you get half of what you want, the other side gets half of what they want, and together you build a, a collaborative, cooperative country where one side's not wrong, one side just has a different view. Mm. And you put both views together and you make a functioning, uh, you make functioning policy with that. Now the view is that you have to have it my way or the highway. And that's just not the way that you run a country. So now to answer your other question, how would my fellow CEOs think about my position? A lot of them would not agree with me, but let's talk about the type of CEOs there are. There are two types. There are those that 
a put in charge of an ongoing company that's owned by the public, a public company. Hmm. They, they haven't risked any of their own capital. They haven't risked any of their own sweat equity. They just were elected or appointed to a position to run a public company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are CEOs that risk everything they have and sleep on the sofa and they're entrepreneurs and, and they start a little dry cleaners or they start a little bakery or they start a little sign shop or they, they, they start, those are the 66,000 businesses that went broke since March. They start a little business with, with maybe a wife and her husband or, 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 or a mother and her kid. And then they hire the first employee and the second employee, and the third employee, and they turn it into something. So that's two very different types of CEOs. One is risking everything um, and they should be rewarded. Um, and one is sort of appointed to a job uh, of, a, of, a, of a, public, a, a public company. Um, so I would say the entrepreneurs, people who start their own business, would be more in my um, social circles because I find them a little bit more interesting, usually those, those men and women. They, they would have a view that we, we, if we keep this up, there'll be no country to have a hopes and dreams about. So that we need to make those changes. Um, you know, some people that are maybe, um, you know, uh, flying around on a, on a uh, on a corporate plane might have a you know might have a, a a different view that things are pretty good for 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 him or her and and they don't want to see anything change but um, that might be just because they don't have any time to be introspective so you know I don't want to judge I don't want to judge them but I would say they all they all obviously they all wouldn't agree with me otherwise Trump wouldn't have got elected to begin with but but in fairness. Trump offered an answer to a question people had, mm. and that might explain how he got elected. But people have seen that his solution did not work. His solution, well, he didn't have a solution. He had sound bites, and he's divisive, and um, he is, his divisiveness has, in my personal view, has turned dangerous because he's clearly more interested in starting fights and he isn't solving problems. So that's, that's dangerous in any, any, any leader, in my view. And, and David, just kind of taking you back to, to what you were talking about, just the different types of CEOs, I, I detect and I have read that it's South Boston you're from. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So would you fall into the, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps camp? And obviously somebody who eventually then went on to sell a business for, I think, around 14 billion, right? Look, I'm lucky in that I was born with, with, um, in in a blue collar family, but we we had bootstraps nonetheless. So there are a lot of people that don't have any bootstraps. So it's unfair to say that everyone can pull themselves up by the bootstraps because, you know, life gets in the way. Um, and sometimes, you know, you you have an idea to start a business, but you have a sick mother to take care of, or you want to start a business, you have a sick father to take care of, or you have no uh, father at the house, or you have a little brother to take care of, or you have to rush home to feed your little brothers and sisters because your mother's working three jobs. So there's a lot of people that, you know, you're navigating your way through life and there's a, there's a 
unintended pregnancy or there's un, or there's a unforeseen sickness or there is you know you have your own health problem or you're caring for someone so there's lots of stuff that can get in the way of someone's dreams so you know i i had a very lucky situation in that um you know it's a blue collar family in, in 11 of us including my grandparents but lots of love lots of support you know you know, not a lot of problems that took us off off our, our our game plan. But I am one of those men or women in the category of I created my own business and I started my own business. And luckily, I had great mentors and great help along the way. Um, but not one that went to work for for a big company. And that comes with its ups and downs. You know, some you know sometimes you make a lot of money and, and other times you bet on something and you lose a lot of money and, and you know we don't publicize all those all those mistakes but there's just as many mistakes as there are smart moves right yeah absolutely and i mean david just uh, lastly i was i was keen to hear um your how you ended up with an emmy on your shelf well because i i produced um I produced a lot of content years ago and I'm, I'm getting back into it now, which is another reason why I'm in, in Los Angeles. Um, I produced a, 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 the number one reading show in America called reading rainbow. Um, and it was the number one show in the classroom, number one kid show around, around reading. I produced, um, a documentary on children's soldiers in Sierra Leone with Michael Douglas. I produced a documentary on refugees in Tanzania with Angelina Jolie. I produced a documentary in Northern Ireland around the, the problem with the lack of integrated schools between Protestant and Catholic with, with Meg Ryan. I produced a documentary in India and lack of education for girls with Sonia Braga. Did one on AIDS with Danny Glover. So I've done documentaries on problems, systemic problems, that in society that we need to solve. I launched the Teenage Network for Nickelodeon with a, I took a Newbery Award winning book called Miracles Boys by Jacqueline Woodson and turned it into a TV show. It was about a biracial, two biracial kids growing up in Harlem. One goes off to Harlem, one goes off to Harvard, one goes to jail. And sort of how two kids in the same family, you know, just with the same DNA can just, you know, one or two bad decisions sends you off in a different direction or one or two good decisions sends you off in a different direction. So I produced a lot of content uh, years ago and it was something I liked and something I was good at. And we're going to do a new reading show. It's going to be much more geared towards, we have two new shows we're going to do. One is teaching kids to think yeah. and one is about a documentary teaching adults to rethink. So one is geared, one's a docu-series geared towards adults and, and highlighting people who have rethought the model around healthcare and education and in, in uh, injustice and, and cannabis and all sorts of issues that are being rethought around the world. And one is about how kids can understand um, that how important it is to read and think. Not okay. just read, because now the, you know, there's some truth to that concept that there is there is such a thing as sort of news that's mislead that that's that's geared to a a, a echo chamber around one viewpoint or another viewpoint. Um, 
So it's kind of can, so, it's kind of trying to counter the the Facebook element, I guess, or the the fake news element, is it? Well, yeah, it's it's just it's unfortunate that 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 people have think that just because a bunch of like-minded people liked what you had to say, that therefore it's true or therefore it's right or therefore everyone thinks it's right. So there's not a lot of, and you, you know, in probably, you, you, you know, when Fox was started, you, you know, they, Rupert Murdoch thought that the news had gotten too far left, so he created something that was very right. So the so the the other channels got farther left, and then Fox got farther right, and the other channels got farther left, and Fox got farther right. And now you sort of have to, you, you know, it's it's all it's very hard to get someone to just tell you what's going on. Like, let me make up my own mind. But young people need to know how to process all that information and know how to process. And then put it in context of what does it mean? Like, what does that information actually mean for me, for my country, and for my community? Yeah. So true. that's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what we're doing. And hopefully I'll be doing it quarantined in County Clare as soon as I get there. Well, that's it. Well, that's it. Well, listen, David, we will have to leave it there. It has been a great pleasure talking to you. I wish you good health. And on a personal note, I hope the broadband expansion goes well. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank my guest, David McCourt, the producer, Freddie Joyner, and you for listening. Join us next week for the next episode of The Exchange.